This is the Secrets We Share podcast, a show about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, and the left and rights of mental health care in Australia. Here's your host, Francis Carlton. Welcome to Secrets We Share, brought to you by Secret Keeper Counselling, where we talk all things mental health with clients and clinicians. There may be tears, laughter, triggers, a little bit of learning and some profanity. We're all adults here. So you've been warned. Make yourself a cup of tea, sit back and relax as I'm joined with joined by Sean, who's going to share some secrets today. Welcome, Sean. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. So you had a bit of trouble finding me today and ended up next door. <laughs> I parked at the wrong house. It said number seven. I'm like, yeah, sweet, I'm here. And No, actually, I wasn't there. <laughs> I was in some <laughs> random person's driveway. <laughs> Apologies to that random person. I didn't mean to scare Oh, no, <laughs> it's fine. We shared photographs of garage doors. We're fine. <laughs> yeah, I got here in the end. Yeah, you got here. Yeah. So you've had a bit of a sort of interesting background. Tell me a little bit about how, how life started. Yeah, okay, so... Well, presently, I'm I'm 35 years old. I'm married to Tess, and I have two beautiful little daughters who are three and one. Uh, their names are Sienna and Miller. Um, my life hasn't always been this happy little family. I started off on the 23rd of January 2003 when I decided to enlist in the in the Australian Army. Um, that point has taken me through some amazing experiences, uh, been through some amazing and some not so amazing parts of the world with my job. And then in 2017, close to 15 years after I joined, I decided to leave. Mm. Unfortunately, it, the decision was taken out of my hands and I was, I was medically discharged. Mm. And I guess that's why I'm sitting here today talking to you because I want to talk about mental health. Mm. And I'm a young male. It's not normal for us to talk about it. But I need to talk about it because we're losing far too many people and it's something that I'm very open and honest about, something I used to be ashamed about. But I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder in March 2015. And along with that comes with its two ugly cousins of anxiety and depression. And it's been it's been an absolute emotional roller coaster since. There's been periods of self-harm, um, Suicidal ideations. Fortunately, one unsuccessful suicidal attempt that that occurred back in 2015, and I'm happy to say it hasn't occurred since. And I owe that to some absolutely fantastic mental health professionals, people that legitimately care. My psychiatrist, my psychologist, my GP, and most of all, my angel of a wife. She's she's kept me walking. She's kept me going. And yeah, look. We're all adults here. Uh, I've been a fucking difficult person to deal with, you know. Mm. Imagine someone who who is so depressed, who's just so hates the world, and you have this one beautiful person in your life that just sticks by you no matter what. None of my uh, outward manifestations of these diseases have been directed towards her, but hey, it affects her life, you know. Mm. When she sees her her husband just not enjoying anything anymore, mm. I'm I'm on the on the up and up. Things are improving, but you know, every now and then it still rears its ugly head. Well, my core trade when I when I joined the army was uh, IT and communications. Um, so it was a natural progression for me to contract back to the Department of Defense in, in a similar field. 
So I work for a private company, uh, a big uh, multinational company, and I contract back to the Australian Army as a civilian. And it's it's the best of both worlds. I, I still get to do similar things to what I did before, but I get to go home at 4 p.m. You know, I, I'm the master of my own destiny now. So things have worked out. So working for a private business, providing the services that you do, but also having all that background and knowledge of the people you're working with, does that does that help you? Absolutely, it does. I'll even go so far as to say I know a lot of the, the customers, a lot of the people I'm dealing with are guys I used to work with. And it, it does it does give me a leg up because I don't have that that knowledge gap that someone would have if they weren't in the army. I know I can represent the mindset of the user, but also the person who's trying to make money. Okay, because it's a private industry and that's that's our sole job is is to try and generate profit. You know what I mean? And and it's easier for me because I used to do the job. I know what people want. I know what people need. I used to be, you know, a soldier. I know what they go through, so I can now deliver better products to these guys that keeps them alive. But you get to go home at four o'clock. Well, hey, no, not always four o'clock, but <laughs> you know what? There's no life of the contractor, eh? No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> but there's no random calls up at three in the morning saying we need you to come to work and then you disappear for months on end. You know, there's none of that. So uh, my life is predictable now. I'm, you know, I ride a desk. And I love it. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> but you don't only ride a desk. No, I don't. <laughs> and that's how we met. That's how yeah. we met. We, this is actually the first time we've actually met face-to-face. <laughs> that's right. We've had yeah. heaps of conversations on Messenger. We have, haven't we? Um, so we both volunteer for wildlife. We do. Can, can I get you to just sort of, to, I mean, why did you get involved in wildlife? You know, the one thing I had when I was in the army is that there was a greater sense of purpose as to what we were doing. It was to achieve a greater mission. There were there was that sense of worth that I don't I don't necessarily get that fulfillment in my current job. My boss is great, my job is great. I won't say I love my job, my job's a job. I love my family, I love going home, I love spending the money they pay me. But I was missing this that sense of contributing to something greater than you know, my, my wallet or my bank account, you know what I mean? And and I love animals. Uh, my love for animals started off with my little dog. You know, I've got a little toy cavoodle. She's tiny, you know. Here I'm a big guy. And What's her I, name? Her name's Coco. She's a, she's a beautiful fawn-coloured cavoodle. Yep. And then I was surfing some online forums about uh, how the ACT government are managing the local kangaroo population. I'm not going to get into... Yeah, let's I, not get into that conversation. No, I'm not going to get into that, but I like to still be informed about what's going on. And then in one of the posts, someone mentioned Wildcare, Wildcare Queanbeyan. I'm like, well, I live in Queanbeyan. So I looked it up and sure enough, a few weeks later, that they were mentioning that there was a training course being run for snake handlers. And I'm like, you know what? I'm petrified of snakes. Absolutely petrified. I think they're hideous creatures. And then I joined and I realized how uneducated I was. And now I absolutely love snakes. I think not only are they not hideous, they're beautiful creatures that really contribute to our ecosystem by keeping the vermin population down. And and if you educate yourself about these beautiful creatures, they're not dangerous. Mm. You need to respect them. But they're so highly predictable. I've learned how to judge their behaviours. And like yourself, I've rescued quite a a few. (laughs) I still have a tiger wintering yep. on my back deck. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
looks a bit of a mess at the moment because he's tried to shed while oh, it's been okay. in, but hasn't had the hasn't had the water bath to mm, go through. Mm. So I also do one other job. Yep. For wild care, um, and I assist with the euthanasia. Um, it's. So do you are you classed as one of the shooters? I don't like using that term because yeah. I don't. When I get called by Rossa, which unfortunately has been quite a lot lately, it's been one a, one a day for the last few days, wow. I don't go out with the mindset I'm going to go kill something. I'm going to go shoot something. Hence, I don't like the word shooter. Yeah. I like the word the words assist in euthanasia or assessment of an injured animal mm. because I'm going with the mindset that, hey, if I can rescue this animal, you know, it's been called in, that's been here, but if I can rescue it, I'm going to rescue it. Or if there's a joey that's in the pouch that can be rescued, I'm going to rescue it. Uh, unfortunately, that hasn't happened yet, but it's still in my mind. You know that that's what I want to do is to save this animal. If we mm. can save it, we can rehabilitate it. Then let's do it. But at the same time, um, you know, I do carry a firearm because if this animal is gravely injured, you know, I I think it's the ultimate kindness by relieving it from its misery. How does doing that particular role within the wildlife rescue, how does that go with your diagnosis of PTSD? So my diagnosis of PTSD, it, it's never, you know, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I used to be in the profession of arms that there's a certain concept of uh, controlled violence that, that militaries do. I mean, let's just face it, that's what they do, much like law enforcement and things like that. But for me, my, my outward manifestations of my anxiety and my PTSD are really violent, okay? And it's something that if I was back in 2015, I wouldn't have been comfortable handling, handling firearms because, hey, there's, there's a quick way out right there, you know what I mean? Mm. But now I'm, I'm so far removed from who that person was. I'm so much stronger and it's it's something I have good knowledge of, and but also I think it's it's something that's so critically important to to end suffering of gravely injured animals. Um, I'm okay around around firearms. Uh, you know, I, I keep them safely locked up away from away from kids, and it's something I'm meticulous about. And and it's okay. Like uh, it's I've I've rationalised it in my mind. It's a, it's an absolute necessity, um, and it's something that that I can help with. a kangaroo a couple of weeks ago mm. over the border yeah, in yeah, the yeah, ACT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I was walking back to get her off the road, I saw a little velvet joey and I thought it was dead. Oh. So I moved the mum off the road, went back, picked up the joey, probably about six or eight feet away, mm. took it to go to, to pick it up, take it back to mum Joey was still alive. So because I was over the border, I basically shoved that thing straight up my top as quickly as possible to get to the body heat, took it to to get it checked, Mm. and unfortunately its spine was broken. So I then had to take it to the vet. And even though this thing had only been with me for, I don't know, maybe an hour, I was standing there with my arms around it just bawling yeah. and the vet and the nurse is like you can wait outside if you'd yeah. like and I'm like no no no, no not gonna die alone no, not gonna die absolutely alone. not you know yeah it's 
it's it's it's heart rendering when you see this, this poor you know, innocent animal that's just been hit. Mm. But again, you, you've done the ultimate kindness, and, and for that the, mm. that hour or so, you know, you showed a love, and and that's what mm. I think. I think we all need to do. And you you know what mm. also attracts me to animals is I very easily get sick of humans. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not jaded. I mean, I I love life, but. Animals, there's no, there's no ulterior motives. It's, it's just their primal instinct. They just want to eat and be left alone. Mm. You know what I mean? I, I think that's so simple and that's so mm. great. I know when I'm going to do a snake rescue, I'm like, that tiger's going to try and climb. You know, that brown snake's going to try and bite me because <laughs> they're angry. <laughs> and that red belly black's just going to chill there and let me pick it up. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Oh my God, I love red belly blacks. They're absolutely my my most favourite snake, and I'm blessed. My last two rescues were red belly blacks. I always, I've, I've always nicknamed them the Nimbin of the snake. Yeah, absolutely. Because the <laughs> they're like, hey man, hey man, just 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 yeah, do yeah. your thing. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Whereas the browns are very much, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah I love yeah. you. I love you. I love you. You want to go, mate? Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Yeah. And then they scoot off like a rocket, and I'm like, God damn it. They do. They move. So you got. You got to get on them quick, don't you? You do. Yeah. 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 They, the animals, as you say, they, they've really got no ulterior motive. Oh. It's just, I don't want to be here. You leave mm. me alone. I'll leave you alone. Mm. Let me eat. Let me sleep. Yeah. You know what I do is I talk to the animals. Mm. You know, so I think members of the public must think I'm a weirdo, but snakes and, and kangaroos, like I'll talk to them. Mm. And I think, oh, man, they, I, I like to think that maybe not the snakes, but maybe the kangaroos can hear my soothing voice, mm. my Barry White tones. No, I'm yeah. joking. But <laughs> it, it's more to calm me down to, to take a few deep breaths, particularly when it's an agitated snake. Mm. because you want to be calm and the, the snake, as you know, reacts off your erratic movements. You it's don't want to do, do that. You, know? you need to move slowly, and calmly. That's it. Just get in there. And isn't that a good metaphor for life, I think? And that's something that I try and embody now. Mm. You know, my, my life is simple and I love it that way. I'm the master of my own destiny now and you know, have a, have a, a good life. Mm. First. Yeah. And you're certainly... Living that good life. <laughs> I certainly am. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm making up for lost time. Uh, don't get me wrong, I absolutely love my time in the Army and, and it made me who I am today. It's something I'm very proud of. Uh, when I joined in 2003, I was, uh, I was a bit chunky, you know. I was mm. petrified to talk in public. Uh, you know, I was a, dwe- you know, a bit of a dweeb. You know, I consider my, myself a, you know, that, that, that's who I was at that time and they broke me down and rebuilt me to be who I am today. Mm. Um, you know, I can, I can think properly. I can talk properly. Um, I have a good, uh, ethical framework that I, I learned throughout my career that I've carried on to other aspects of my life. But the one thing I could never do was hobbies and, and certain side endeavors, like be a, uh, a volunteer member of wild care, you know mm. what I mean? To help rescue, uh, animals and, uh, trapped cockies. Yeah. Do you remember that time uh, in Wildcare we had the trapped cocky on the wire? Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. That was an yes. absolute saga. And, yeah, I, <laughs> I was the one that jumped in the river to get it. And that was, 
That made me so happy that time because this poor cocky was stranded for days and then we rescued her and it was mm-hmm. like it got rehabilitated. Yeah. And that's just being part of something bigger than myself. Like, it feels good. I mean, it's a bit self-serving in that I want to feel good. I want to feel like I'm doing something good. But at the same time, you're helping beautiful animals. Well, there's a theory that everybody that does something to make other people feel good, they also get that reward mm. of feeling good. And I don't think there's anything bad about that. I think it just is. It's okay to want to feel good. Yeah. And it just it's just fact. It just is what it is. If you can have the best of all worlds and crack on, go for it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So what else do you do with your time yeah. apart from wildlife? Yeah, right. So um, life's short, right? So I try and yeah. pack a full as much stuff as I can. Yeah. And I'm a master of time management, being a dad with two little kids, you know, you, yeah. you've got to be what little free time you've got, you've got to make the most of it. So yeah. you, you will never or you'll very rarely find me lazing around on the couch. I have... I have some crazy hobbies and my, my friends always laugh and joke about it, you know. I'm also a, I'm a DJ so at, yeah. at a local nightclub called Treehouse, right? So I oh, DJ amazing. there uh, twice to three times a month and which is really funny because I've never been to music. I, I know nothing about music and then one day I'm driving down the highway. This was in 2016. I hear an ad on the radio saying, hey, learn to become a DJ. Next minute, here I am, you know. Um, I think it's just absolutely great that you can bring people from all walks of life together in one room, regardless of sexuality, gender, race, religion, it doesn't matter. Everyone's happy. Everyone's dancing to that one tune. What sort of music do you play? What I absolutely love to play. Yes. Techno music, all right? So like yeah. not electronic dance music, not that. That's, that's too commercialised. I like good thumping bass techno. Just you sit there and you just like you know, pump your fist and nod your head. I just absolutely love it and I get lost in that music. But, you know, my main goal as a DJ is to, is to play to the crowd. So I like to keep people happy and that's part of the reason why I do it. Hey, I get paid really well for it as well. Yeah. You know, it's always good getting that paycheck. Added bonus. Added bonus. But the music I play at Treehouse is old school hip-hop and R&B. You know, back in the 90s, this that's when I grew up. You know, I was born in born in the eighties, but really started getting into that music in the nineties, and it's 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 pretty sick. I love it. Yeah. Um. So that's that's one part of of my life, and and that's when my wife and kids are asleep. You yeah. know, so I'm out there as as a as an older DJ playing music to the younger crowd. But I, hey, I still love it. Yeah. Um. I have have some acreage outside of Queanbeyan, yeah. and it started off as crappy pine trees and rock and my wife and I have transformed it over the last few years into a, a beautiful home with an absolutely lovely vista out into the valley and we've built some beautiful gardens. So my thing is vegetable gardens, okay. I love the concept of putting a tiny seed in a piece of soil and then a few months later you have fruit, you have vegetables, you have things you can eat. What Isn't are you picking amazing? at the moment? So at the moment, uh, broccoli, yep. broccolini, uh, my garlic's about ready to be picked. I've just planted peas and they're sprouting. Uh, is yep. it, I just love like each day going out, I'm like, oh, my peas are sprouting. I get so, so excited. Tell, to tell me, because I've got peas yeah, yeah. and I tried peas last year yeah. and none of them came up. For real? 
For real. So I've got them hard. Yeah, yeah. Do you soak them before? No, never. I don't soak them at all. Maybe that was what I did wrong mm. then. So I pop them in oh. some really good quality dirt that I bought. So yep. it's a it's a manure mix. Yep. Um, and once every two weeks I, I feed it with uh, this, it's called mushroom compost. Yes. And they just grow like wildfire. It's a fairly short season, but you get so many peas. I'll be lucky to get one though because my daughters are out there chewing, chewing them off the vine, so I've got to get in quick. <laughs> and I caught a cheeky possum one day. And I'm like, you're lucky. I love possums. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, he was he was uh, it was a he too. He was eating big juicy tomato. So yeah, yeah. Was he? Did he look like that like that rabbit that uh-huh. has that's been eating the yeah. raspberry? Yeah. And he left a hearty, heart, half-eaten Roma tomato on my vine. I'm like, man, you can at least take the whole thing, right? I'm like, <laughs> I don't mind, you know. Um, if you're gonna thieve, yeah, yeah, take the whole thing, man. Yeah. What am I gonna do with that? <laughs> Yeah, he hasn't been back. <laughs> he hasn't. No, or maybe he does. You know, maybe yeah. when I'm asleep. You know, yeah. he's probably I've got, like, screw this guy. I'm coming yeah. back. <laughs> I've only got a little postage stamp, but I've got um, my garlic's about ready. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm broccoliing yeah. at the moment. Isn't yeah. it good? Oh, I mean, I eat a lot of broccoli. You know. And I'm very excited that all my rhubarb is sprouting. Oh again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, my potatoes just started sprouting. Yeah, I love potatoes. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like you're probably a bit. bit Bit more space than I. Yeah, I have uh, five acres. Yeah. Um, but living in the bush comes with its own challenges, you know. Yes. And I call those challenges wombats. Oh, okay. All right, they're so cheeky around my place, and so to save my garden from these cheeky little tunnelers, I've built it up. So right. I've, I've built it uh, about probably a meter up using sleepers and filled them. Right. And they've left it alone. <laughs> so you've got the raised beds. I do. Yeah. Um, I have enough ground to plant things in the ground, but the raised beds tend to keep the rabbits. Don't get me started on rabbits. They're, they're so bad for our environment. Yep. But they keep the wombats away from my food, man. I'm like, oh, it's such a challenge. I've put so much effort in a lot of my garden. Come back the next morning and everything's dug up and destroyed. And you're like, come on, man. Like, so, the, so the wombats actually eat? Your veggies? Yeah, they do. Or do they just dig them up? Both. Oh. They prefer uh, the flower bulbs though. And so my wife loves, okay. yeah, my wife loves. I would have thought they would, because aren't they toxic to most things? The flower, flower bulbs? bulbs? Well, they, they eat them though. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. I hope not. Okay. You might be a bit sick if they are. I didn't know that. That's the first time yeah. I ever heard of it. But Yeah, I thought they were, but mm. I might be wrong. And, you know, sometimes I hear this Banging on the side fence, I'll go out and be like, mate, go away. I love you, man, but please stay away from my veggies. All right? Do you have any problems with mange up on your place? Or? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I can't get close enough to the wombats to, to have a accurate assessment, but unfortunately I've found a, you know, some that have passed away and the mange is pretty thick. Yeah. And have you had any luck finding the burrows so you can do the, the treatment with the flaps and things? So... There is, uh, I've had luck for one, um, but if in finding the burrow, but I couldn't identify that one having mange. I think he was okay. He lives in the stormwater drain. Oh, okay. In my house. So oh, it's so like it's a, already been dug for him. It's already been dug for him, the lazy bugger. And it's so like, he's got, so hang on. Yeah. So you've got a possum living in the storm drain under your house. No, 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 wombat. 
Wombat. Yeah. Sorry, what did I say? Possum. possum. Oh no, wombat. He lives in the tree, the possum. And then, and then he also nicks all your veggies and your and your bulbs. I don't know if it's him, but there's there's heaps. There's heaps of wombats. It's not just one wombat. I was gonna say because he sounds like he's landed on his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's loving life, you know. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> it's so it's sometimes I get frustrated and you know put so much effort in your garden and old mate comes in the middle of the night and chews it up, but. You know, we, we've had a couple of conversations and he's he's kept away for now. Okay. Yeah. How does gardening help with your with your mental state? Yeah. The worst thing for my mental state is uh, is an empty mind because then my mind starts to wander. I start to think about that one situation I completely embarrassed my wife in public, you know, 6.5 years ago. It just pops into my head and, like, you start self-loathing. And that's, that's a slippery slope, you know what I mean? That's something that I try and avoid. And the way I avoid that is by doing things, things that are conducive to a good mental health and by working on something like a garden and then a, being able to see how that garden grows and manifests into something beautiful as a result of your hard work and, and my wife's hard work. And for me, that is just so rewarding. You have an idea in your mind. My wife is the ideas girl. I dig the big holes, but hey, yeah. it still counts. So you're the muscle. Yeah, yeah. Sounds she's like she's, a pretty reasonable she's the brain on, on the brawn. You know, I'm happy with that. You know, I I'll always run things by to make sure. Hey, does that is that does that make sense? You know, is this the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? If she gives me the thumbs up, I'm cool. I trust her. <laughs> <laughs> but gardening, like having a bare patch of dirt, and then a few weeks or months later, it's now lush and green. You got these flowers popping out. I mean, that's just so amazing. And there's nothing I love more than coming home, getting out of my corporate attire and putting on my scungy clothes and going out there and digging holes and planting trees, and, and which we do every day. It's like a little family tradition. Um, my wife, my, my daughter Sienna, who's three years old, she's walking, and myself, and then little Miller, she's crawling. I call her the little tornado because she leaves a trail of mess wherever she goes. You know, she just destroys things, which I absolutely love. She's a, she's a, a little mind... Of her she, own now. Is she her father's daughter? No, she's a spitting image of my wife. Okay. My eldest daughter, Sienna, now everyone calls her a little Sean because okay. she she's a spitting image of me and she has this massive blonde afro, okay. huge afro. I'll have to show you a photo before so she I definitely, go. So she definitely takes yeah, after Dad. She does and, <laughs> and her, her afro is... <laughs> He's internationally famous. We just got back from a trip to the States in Canada and, you know, we would be in New York walking through Times Square and we're, we're getting people across the street, you know, from all walks of life coming over to pat her hair, you know what I mean, or to say your daughter's hair is wonderful. And I hope they are, were asking permission. Sometimes people get a little bit too excited, but, hey, you know, I always, I always keep, keep my eye on my daughter because she, she she's – you know, she's free. She doesn't fully understand what's going on. And But I'd like to say people uh, always have good intentions, the ones that I've encountered. But that goes, okay. earlier on you were saying about how you get tired of people. How did you go when you were in, in the States and Canada with all the people? <laughs> <laughs> um, we start off because my wife is half Canadian. My, my father-in-law, Tim, he's, he's Canadian. And... Um, we, we traveled through the Rockies, oh, long wow. road trips through the Rockies for the first few weeks. 
people on the roads. Like it was, there was people in, in where we we're going, but we we're staying in tiny little towns. And that was just great. Just getting into the wilderness of another country, seeing all their fantastic animals, you know, bears, moose, elk, and all you, that sort you of stuff. And you did actually see some of their animals? Yeah, yeah. I didn't get in to the see. In the wild? In the wild, yeah. Oh, awesome. Bears everywhere, which is absolutely amazing. Mm. Absolutely incredible animals. And it's a landscape that is so green because, you know, for us in Australia, we have water problems. Canada, there's no water problems. Like when it's raining, they don't even bother turning off their sprinkler systems because they just don't care. There's just so much water. Everything's so full. It's absolutely amazing. It's just that real lush, almost fluorescent green. Exactly right. And then you're seeing glaciers and snow in the middle of summer. You know, my my daughter's touched snow for the first time in the middle of summer in Canada. We were up that high. So the people aspect wasn't so bad then it, it flared up a little bit when i was in new york you know especially in times square but one thing that i've really been working hard on lately that i've really been getting a lot of benefit out of is as is a technique that you would know called mindfulness mm. and something that's so simple and i've paid off for years until i had the right act read to me by my psychologist god bless him dr barry mm-hmm. he's literally saved my life and it's i just take a big deep breath I think about where I am. I think about what's real. I know it sounds so simple. I take it all in and I realize, hey, it's 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 okay, right? These people, what, what's what's really their intent? Are they really a threat, Sean? You know, is that really a threat to you? Yeah, yeah. You main, maintain your, you know, your awareness and stuff like that. But but by actually thinking about the current situation I'm in, taking it all in, taking everything in and assessing that situation like like a sane adult, which I'm not really a sane adult. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I find I'm able to enjoy life now, whereas in the past I wasn't able to do that. I wasn't able to hang around in crowds without like be, be, being overwhelmed by the sights, the sounds, the, the, the many people approaching from behind me and, you know, the shoulder bumps in, you know, when everyone's shuffling through Times Square. But then now, like, um, I employ those mindfulness techniques and, and I'm able to enjoy things again and you know, it's good. So when things were bad, yeah. what were the things that you were doing that weren't helpful? Sorry, I'm just trying to collect my thoughts here. Um, right. Yeah, it's still a little bit hard to talk about, but... The reason why is there's a lot of embarrassment. Um, yeah. Not, I'm not embarrassed that I have this, but I'm embarrassed how I've acted in the past. Do you yep. know what I mean? And the way it manifested for me is that I was so hyper vigilant. Yep. I could never relax. That guy behind me in the aisle at Coles, he's looking at me and my family. Boom, that's a threat. You know what I mean? So I turn around and I address it. When in reality, old mate's just doing his shopping. You know what I mean? He's not even looking at you. No, he's not even looking at me. Or he might be looking at, you know, my T-shirt or, you know, my my crazy hair. To everyone listening, I've got crazy hair. Yeah. <laughs> and and that that's that's how it manifests in the past. And then there'll be times where I'd react to that and cause a scene. And my wife being there would be so intensely embarrassed. And mm. I think back on all those times and man, I'm I'm so I'm so embarrassed by that. And I'm trying to make up for it now. Mm. You know what it I mean? sounds like you've Done an awful lot of work to get past mm. that. Yeah. I'm I'm the only one that can 
force myself to get better. You know, I can listen to my psychiatrist. I can take the medicine that he gives me. I can listen to my psychologist and then go home and forget about it. But what's the point of seeking treatment? I can listen to my GP, but if I don't implement what they're telling me, then I'm not going to get better. And God damn it, I want to get better. I know I'll never be cured of this. It's terminal, but it's something that... Well, isn't life terminal? No one gets out of life alive, do right. they? <laughs> so I have a bit of a morbid sense of humour. You know what? You know why I can do that is because I've been to the depths of hell, as a lot of us have. I've been to a point in my life on the 29th of March 2015 where I decided to take my life. I've been to the bottom where I don't give a shit about anything anymore, that's it, I'm done. I'm checking out, catch us later. And from that point on, the only way is up. When you hit the absolute bottom, I just did not give a shit anymore. I said, after I got over that initial suicidal episode, I said, I'm just going to completely open myself up to whatever anyone says because I hate where I am right now and I want to get better and I'm a doer, I always have been. My whole life. So you attempted. I did. And you survived. Mm-hmm. And you went to hospital? No? I should have. Should have. I refused. Yeah. So I went in to see, because I was still in the military at the time. Right. Um, and I got sent in the next day to the doctor. So I had, there was things put in place on the day. I can't really go into, but no, no. I Sorry. was... I was put in a situation where I was looked after and then yep. the next day I was taken straight into a medical professional. I was still pretty amped up though and, yep. you know, I, I admit um, I can be pretty scary when I'm amped up, you know what I mean? And I don't blame people for being scared. Heck, I'm scared, you know what I mean? And the doctor said to me, she's like, you go in hospital, you go into Dunfermline Hospital. And I'm like, no, the fuck I'm not. No one is sending me to a hospital. I said, you send me the fuck the hospital, I'm, I'm escaping. You will not be able to hold me there. And she's like, shit. You know, mm-hmm. I was still so amped up and I had in my head that everyone was against me and no one wanted me alive and all this crap. In reality, that's just so goddamn stupid. Um, I still remember her name because, you know, she she she's a GP, Natalie Bolton, her name is. Mm-hmm. I know if she's listening, you saved my life. And I love you dearly for that. She She was the one who started my treatment. She's like... Man, you have PTSD. You need to. You need help. And it was that moment that I started on my journey to recovery. From did having that 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 label, that name for what was going on, did that help you? Yeah, no, it did because I was I was so confused. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why am I so angry? Mm. It's no, I don't have the problem. It's everyone else. You know, mm. I hate people except for my wife. I hate everyone else. I ostracize my family. Ostracize my friends. How stupid is that now? I still have these friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're they stuck, stuck by me. And by having a label, by having a diagnosis that was confirmed by an emergency appointment I had with a psychiatrist, by having that diagnosis, it means that we could target things now. Mm. You know, and then I got diagnosed with depression and anxiety and we could now treat these things. Mm. There's cognitive behavior therapy. There's mindfulness. There's... EMDR and there's medication, you know what I mean? And I'm still on medication to this day and it's mm. been, you know, going on five years since my diagnosis. Mm. Life's good. This stuff, is a, this stuff is a lifesaver and there's no shame in taking medication and I'm blessed I don't have any side effects from it. Um, 
my friends and I <laughs> joke around and call it anti-suicide medication. You know what I mean? <laughs> because, um, you know, I like to make light of morbid situations. That's that's how I deal with it. And that's how guys like me deal with things that we've had to experience in our life. You know what I mean? And It's also very common for people who have been frontline. So any kind of forces, the mm. police force, doctors, nurses, mm. paramedics, mm. counsellors. Yeah. We tend to have a little, we tend to err a little bit on the black yeah, yeah. side of humour. We do, we do. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why I'm so uh, attracted to friendships of people that are from similar backgrounds, you know. Um, I have uh, another very close mate who I met in the army and he's been through the same things that I've been through in terms with his struggle for mental health. When him and I are together, oh, we have some morbid jokes. <laughs> but it's 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 quite often we're like teasing ourselves, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's it's quite it's quite humorous for us because there's a trust there and we but we both know that there's no malicious intent. Yeah. And it's a yeah. shared humor. It's a shared humor and it's a shared experience and we bond over that. Jason will be listening to this, man. Love you, boy. <laughs> so sort of just in, just in closing, apart from your wife what and your friends that you've, you've given shout-outs to, yeah. what other support networks have you got there? I have um, my, my healthcare team. Yep. So I've been seeing the same psychologist um, and GP for years now. Mm. And I was seeing the same psychiatrist, but he retired. And then he recommended me to another guy who's as equally as good and equally as loving and caring. Mm. So those three people uh, have a big, um, play a big part in my life. And they're really the reason why I'm, I'm still alive today. Um, mm. The fact that here are some professionals, people that were strangers to me, but they care so much to get dedicated so much of their time into making sure I'm okay, into making sure that I recover. They have a vested interest in that. And mm. it goes beyond their duty as medical professionals. Some of the things they've done for me have been well beyond their expected treatment. You know what I mean? Like even personal calls after hours by my GP to make sure I'm okay. Mm. Things like that. What GP does that? You know, like so that real, that real sort of friendship and yeah. and relationship between you and Correct. your medical yeah. professionals yeah. has been key to your recovery. Absolutely, and and I, I strongly encourage anyone who's dealing with any sort of mental health problems where they need to see medical professionals, don't settle until you find someone you gel with. Okay, because they're people too. And not everyone gets along, but it's so critically important that you get along with your mental health care team. Mm. Some other support networks I have, Wildcare, yourself, um, yeah. the, my fellow reptile handlers. Yeah. Um, We're a strange bunch. We are so strange. You know, there's, <laughs> there's photos that I've put up of snakes I've rescued, as, as you've done on, on Facebook, and my friends yeah. are like, dude, what the hell? Like yeah. I have a... My, my auntie-in-law from Canada, she's so petrified of snakes. And most of the snakes in Canada, are, they're not venomous, you know what I mean? And I just absolutely love it. It's something so external to what anyone's 
used to in their lives. And here I am playing with deadly snakes. And especially my American friends are like, how are you not dead yet? And I'm like, hey, man, these snakes are just misunderstood. They are. You, know, you, you treat them with respect. And how cool is it that you can rescue something, put it in a bag safely and relocate it, something that has the ability to kill you, but it, you're not dead? I, have no, I haven't even come close to getting bitten, you know no. what I mean, because I do what I've been taught. And that's one thing yes. I've taken from the army. My instructors teach me something for a reason. Then, it's a method. You stick to that method, you are going to succeed. Yeah, they haven't made it up just for fun. No, you no. do exactly what the snake handling instructors tell you. Hey, you're going to be fine and you're going to rescue that snake, which is the number one goal. You're going to come out alive. That snake's going to come out alive. No one's going to get bit. It's going to be a nice outcome for everybody. It is a nice outcome for everyone. So I... I I still drive over that hill yeah. and see where that new road is going in. Yeah, yeah. And still go, oh, I hope Kevin's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that road that's going in actually backs onto, is the rear boundary of my acreage out of Greenlee. Right. Yeah, and the road has disturbed a lot of the, the local wildlife. Yeah, I can imagine. I don't particularly care about vermin like rabbits and foxes. In, in fact, I'm all for eradicating them but it's disturbed like a lot of reptiles. Mm. It's a little bit sad, you know. Yeah. Do you have the Rosenbergs up your way? No, I haven't seen them. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard they're around. I've never seen them. There's yeah. signs there saying be careful, you know. Yeah. But no. The Rosenberg goannas yeah. is highly endangered mm. and when they started putting that road in, yeah. Wildcare actually contacted and said we're happy to come out and do inspections yeah. and they were like, We've had our own people doing it. Oh, of course you have. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. You can't yeah. see joint eye rolling at this yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I get that from a lot of snake recoveries too. Like I get caught out mm. and the member of the public's like, oh, I've dealt with it. I'm like, what do you mean you've dealt yeah, with it? Yeah, that's man? happened to me a few times. I'm like, who's dealt with it? Because I know there's no qualified snake handlers here, which means it's illegal what you've done. And I know you've probably killed it, you scumbag. Yeah. Yeah. It's very difficult to be polite, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not known for being politically correct or polite. I speak my mind, <laughs> as you've probably gathered so far I, during this podcast. I went to one of those and I was literally on my way. I was two minutes away and then I got, and she said, I've dealt with it. And I said, okay, well, I still need to come. Mm. And I said, where is it? And they decapitated it. Little brown, still had the black on it. Oh, no, really? And they'd put it in the recycling bin, Jeez. which is, of course, all manually handled. And anyone who knows brown snakes know that they're actually still highly venomous even when they're being decapitated because yep. the glands are the, there and mm -hmm. the, the teeth are still there. Yep. And, and she was like, oh, it was in the shed. And I said, I've got two children and a dog. And I was like, were they trapped in the shed mm -hmm. with the snake? Mm -hmm. No, 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 they were in the house. Yep. So it wasn't an immediate danger then. No. And yet so they I, killed it. So I had to. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I told one lady one time, I said, look, it's my assessment you've you've killed this snake. You've told me you've relocated it after it's been trapped in netting 
which for those people listening is one of the most difficult snake re- snake rescues to do to recover a snake from bird netting. She says, it's been relocated. I'm like, no, it hasn't. You've killed it. And I said to her, it's been my assessment. You've killed this snake. So I'm going to make a report that I think you've killed this snake. And she wasn't happy with that. But you know what? I don't care. I, ho- I hope she freaked out about that. that she I reported. I reported my lady. As yeah. as did I. Hey, nothing's going to happen. But you know what? I sleep a little, a little yeah. more comfortable at night to know that I've done all I can. And I actually, I, I, I actually walked my dead body into the Queen Bee Police Station and said, "I want to report a murder." <laughs> <laughs> How'd they take that? They said, "I think you might be overreacting." I'm like, "Nope." No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, it man. was illegal activity. Absolutely, absolutely, you know. Yeah. Oh, it, well. was quite, it was quiet. Mm, it wasn't mm. a busy night. <laughs> so, yeah. So, while the, the members of Wildcare, like yourself, that, that I've bumped into in, in various situations um, have been really greatly supporting. Um, and particularly when we did that, a uh, highly complex cocky rescue where we had multiple contractors out and, yeah. uh, you know, the cables were severed and the police were called on us and the police came but they were absolutely lovely and then the whole camaraderie between the wild care members that came, mm-hmm. we all came together. You know, we're all from different walks of life. Um, there was some elderly there. There was some young people there. There was macropod handlers. There was bird handlers, snake handlers, euthanizers. We're all there bonding together as a team to save a life. And isn't that just amazing? One life. One life. One cockatoo's yes. life. And I heard some members of the public are like, who, you know, who gives a shit? Just leave the bird. I'm like, man, you would give a shit if that was you up there. Imagine dehydrating to death. That is the worst possible way to go. Yeah. yeah. And I, if we weren't going to be able to get it down, if they weren't going to let us cut that cable, which we were never going to take no for an answer, I had it in my head I was going to make sure that cockatoo wasn't going to suffer. Mm. You know I mean, because we were running out of time. Thank God we didn't have to go down that that route. Mm. But there was a, a no way I was going to let that thing die like that. Mm. We saved it. And when I try, so they lowered the cable into the river. You know, my shirt's off. I'm jumping in the river in this manky river. Pretty rank. And I'm swimming over. And as I'm trying to save this cockatoo, it's trying to bite me. I'm yeah. like, man, I'm trying to save you. <laughs> All right? So... You know, I still had my shirt tucked into my belt and then I draped it over the cocky and then uh, I sawed the twine off the cable and freed it and then Diane from Wildcare came with a uh, a pillow sack and then yeah, the bird was released a week later. I've, 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 done, a, I've done a couple of rescues for cockies and I'll yeah. tell you what, I'd rather be facing down a brown snake than a cockatoo. Oh, absolutely. Oh, that beak. The beak and the, the screech yeah. and the, the wings, yeah. everything about yeah, them. Yeah. They're just, yeah. yeah, give me a brown snake. Yeah, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> Don't leave, give you. me a brown snake. So just one last thing. What do you, what does the future look like for you? Yeah. The future looks, what does it look like for me? Hey, that's a good question. Let me tell you what it looks like for me. Um when I first joined the military, I'm like, yeah, I'm a lifer, I'm going to be a general, I'm going to command, I'm going to do all this sort of stuff. Yeah, life didn't go go as planned, you know. I got medically retired. And for me, my focus is, is now on just enjoying life. Like I don't 
enjoy my job. And it's not because it's a bad job. It's because I don't want to spend eight hours away from my family. I don't want to sit in an office doing stuff eight hours a day. Hey, realism kicks in and I've got to earn money. I've got to put food on the table. So I consider my work facilitates other areas of my life. It allows me to buy material things if I want. I'm not a material person, but I can if I want. It'll, seeds. I can buy seeds. I can buy saplings. I can buy stuff that makes rescues easier for the animals. I can go on extravagant holidays. I can follow my dreams and my dreams are very much orientated about learning. Like I like doing little courses like woodworking courses or, you know, I'm teaching myself music production, electronic music production and my life isn't, I have this career and I want to soar to the lofty heights of corporate management. No, man, no, I'm going to do this job. I'm going to keep doing it and I'm going to do it well because it's my own, it's my reputation. But that facilitates my life and my life is just being happy, just enjoying nice things, you know, treating my wife to a life she deserves, you know what I mean? She was without a present husband for so many years. You know, she, she was with me the entire time I was in the army and I was always away. Um, I'm now making up for lost time and, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of my time in educating my kids, um, bringing them up to be good contributing members of society. That's what life holds for me, um, adventures, happiness. A life of meaning. A life of meaning. Uh, a life contributing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. No problem. Thank you to you, the listener, for listening. And thank you so much, Sean, for sharing some secrets today. Thanks to Nick McCorriston, my podcast guy and general sound guru. He's amazing. If you are listening on an app, please don't forget to rate and subscribe. It all helps. I also have a Patreon account, Secrets We Share, if you'd like to contribute, there will be bonus material with Sean available after this. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing from you, the listener, through blogs and comments. And if you do have a secret that you'd like to share, please hit us up at our website, secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to Secrets We Share. If you're interested in sharing some of your secrets, please visit our website at secretkeepercounseling.com.au. Keep an ear out for our next episode soon.